I'm going to give a brief overview of Derek's background. So Derek is an entrepreneur, author, and investor embedding the B-team vision of people, planet, and everything he does. Everything he does. Works with, networks he's involved with, and in New Zealand, the country he calls home. He is currently the B-team's entrepreneur in residence, designing a new venture that aims to solve social issues and set new benchmarks in how we treat our people and our planet at the same time as making money in an innovative and exciting way. He is also an adjunct executive professor at AUT University, chair and co-founder of Snack Media, a director at Sky Television, a New Zealand Foundation trustee, and astronaut-in-waiting at Virgin Galactic. Well, Derek, I'm personally very impressed by your bio, and I know that everyone here on the call would love to hear some more about your journey as an entrepreneur and what led you to join the movement of redefining the role of business for society and the planet. Great. Okay. Everyone hear me? It's all good? Yeah, we've got you very well. Cool. Okay. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, more than happy to spend 10, 15 minutes talking about the uh, – well, what is it going to be? I guess it's about 13 years or so since I left uh, university. Um, I will talk a little bit about how I started to get into business, uh, the companies I tried to build, and then – the I guess the fork in the road where I you know, became impassioned about the issue that we're really here to talk about, which is the future of businesses' role in the world and uh, the issues that we face. And then we can talk a little bit about how the B team was formed, um, some of the interesting things that some of those uh, B team leaders are doing, and you know, some of the aspirations of the organisation. And, and then happy to take a, a few questions. Um, in the middle, I probably have to. Uh, get into a car at some point, but that's okay. So, yeah, so 2001, um, I think some of you will remember or might not remember, uh, there weren't, wasn't a lot of functionality in what was, um, you know, a very basic mobile phone at that time. Normally green and black screens, uh, normally about 10 buttons or 12 buttons on the handset, and people generally use them to make phone calls. Uh, especially in America. In other parts of the world, like South Africa and Australia and New Zealand, people started to use them to send text messages. My brother and I in that year set up a company uh, on the belief that those little funny devices um, would one day become the intersection of all content planning, engagements, and experience between brands, media companies, and people, consumers, uh, everyday, everyday people and built an organization called Hyperfactory, which was really underpinned by that only vision, uh, that, only that vision that I explained, and started to go about working on you know, how you use text messaging to do more interesting things than sending text from one person to another, things like paying for your car parking or texting into a radio station or, or texting into television, uh, texting in response to uh, content on packaging, and slowly built that business over the years through Asia, Australia, India, um, Europe, and eventually came to America around 2005. Uh, I started and failed and tried a number of different businesses on the side and in the interim period in all sorts of areas, but mostly digital, uh, at the same time as building the hyperfactory. 2006, 2007, as you guys know, the iPhone came out and the, the theory or the thesis of, of the original business started to play out and become obvious to everyone else in the world, which was obviously very good for us. 
and the business moved from things like you know where we started from, which was text, all the way through to the real content with which you know everyone now virtually can't live without. Um, and that business uh, became the the purveyor of technology and strategy to basically every top brand in the world, from Coke to Kraft to Toyota, and as to how they will use this channel and this medium to carve a path into the future and migrate from the desktop. The company was raised uh, raised a lot of venture capital, and I was moving to LA in 2007 to kind of scale it up. And 2008, we were burning a lot of money and weren't really conscious of the recession. Uh, we thought, you know, we were kind of going to be immune to it, but of course, nobody was immune to it. And by 2008, at the end of it, uh, we were facing a position where within three months, you know, we'd have no more money left. And in that environment, which was basically an environment full of fear and total um, uh, paranoia, uh, what ended up happening over the Christmas New Year period is, aside from laying off about 80 people, I started to question what would life be like without this business that I'd just spent you know, many years building. And as I started to ask that question, I started to ask, what's the point of building businesses? What's the point of being an entrepreneur? Why am I an entrepreneur and what do I want to do? And if I have to go back to New Zealand with no money, no job, and no assets in March or April, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And how am I going to feel happy about it? Because I wouldn't have felt happy about you know, all the, the things that I've done in the last 10 years. Even though they were interesting and innovative and they gave people jobs, they weren't really addressing some of the things that I was starting to question, including things that I'd never questioned before, which is, why is there poverty? Why is the climate so screwed up? Why do we ruin our planet? What are the, what are the factors that cause this? And what are the timelines that we're working to as a society and as a species to try and fix some of these things. And I guess most importantly, at the end of that, why isn't that the sole focus of entrepreneurs and business people everywhere in the world? And how did we end up in this place where we've been told that the business of business is business and that everything else has to be solved by society, nonprofits, and governments? So early 2009, I decided somehow I've got to get out of this. I've got to keep this business alive. And by a masterstroke of for good fortune and persistence, we managed to actually sell the business, 20% in 2009 and the rest of it in 2010, because a long-term acquirer company who didn't really care about the recession but just needed a business like ours um, didn't want to invest in it. It just wanted to buy it. At 2010, I was starting to think about my next move and realized I didn't know anything about sustainable business, sustainable capitalism, ethical capitalism, compassionate capitalism, social entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. I'd been doing research since that, you know, uh, that nexus of the, of the recession moment where I changed my view on the world, and I'd learned things about microfinance, and I'd learned a bit about um, you know, uh, fossil fuels and things like that, but I realized I didn't know anything about the frontier of what I believe to be the remodeling of business, the remodeling of capitalism, that this generation and this century will eventually be responsible for. So my, my thought on how to solve that was that I would donate a year of my life in 2012 to any combination of organizations who could help me learn. So I would give my time, my entrepreneurship abilities, my marketing and digital media understanding to any nonprofit or university or idea that could put me in a place where I'd be exposed to the best thinkers in the world on everything from 
you know, microfinance, through to impact investing, through to sustainable strategies or environmental strategies. I didn't really know what it was going to be. I just decided that it would be a year of time and I'd learn enough, I guess, kind of like an MBA to go and start a new business that modeled as many of those things that I learned about. One of the first things I did when I sold the business was I bought a ticket to space with Virgin Galactic. And as a result of that, I met Richard Branson, who started that organization. And in the December of 2011, that last month that I was committed to work at the Hyperfactory, two weeks before I would have had my last day, I was with him and told him that story, but in a lot shorter version, about 90 seconds version. Um, and at the end of it, he said, well, a lot of, there are a number of people around the world who think the same way. We're not quite sure how we're going to get there. But what I would like to do is collect a group of them from all around the world who may not know each other and who may not realize that they're all trying to achieve and accelerate a similar vision of the role of business in society and create a team and get them to work together and get them to aspire to elevate this message and make it part of the zeitgeist and convince more and more business leaders to see things the same way. In addition, maybe that team can start to work together on the initiatives that each of them are doing that others may not know about and they can help each other and that they can um, not only act as a united front from a public uh, standpoint, but also in their own businesses, in their own lives, um, help each other achieve more than they could uh, than if they were alone. So that was over Ganapool, and I told him that if he needed anyone to create that organization, that I had a year to give, and he could have some or all of it. And by the end of that evening, we'd agreed that in February I would start and I would create with him and others what is now known as the B Team. So the B Team's role, I guess, in the world is to catalyze a better way of doing business for the well-being of people and the planet, not at the expense entirely of profit, but integrating a new model that understands that all three of them are reliant on each other. The, 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 the moniker under which the name is named after is a plan B, basically a plan B for how we run businesses because plan A is what is currently driving us into the ground and also isn't being used to its greatest potential to solve the social issues or environmental issues that we kind of need to figure out in the next, I guess, 20 to 30 years. So what are some of those things I'm thinking your courses you must know you know, a lot of what those things are, but there are a lot of different issues. Some of them would be, you know, 2 billion people still living on a couple couple of dollars a day, 3 billion new people arriving in the world in the next 20 years, um, growing gap of inequality, the CEO to worker ratio 20 times in 1965 is 200 times today. Uh, 1961, the whole of humanity used about 75% of the Earth's carrying capacity now the United States alone, unfortunately, uses four and a half times the Earth's carrying capacity. Um, only 1% of the world's water is usable. 70% of it goes to uh, farms and uh, animal raising. Yet, 33% um, uh, of our food is wasted. And then when it goes into the compost, it contributes 33% of greenhouse gases. There are just so many cyclical problems and systemic problems with the way we do things today that there is more than enough to work on. So who's the B team? It's about 16 different leaders from around the world, most of them business people. Some of them are hybrids, like Professor Muhammad Yunus, who is known as the father of microfinance, 
but is also now known as the father of social business, a new business model that he likes to describe and be very clear about his definition of social business, which is a business that works purely to solve a social problem and is a non-dividend paying entity. So you can put capital into it to fund the business. It has a business model to solve a problem that would normally be ascribed as a charity problem or a government problem, and it uses all its profits after it's repaid the capital to scale the solution to the problem. Zhang Yu is from China. He started off in boilers, ended up in air conditioning, and now has moved on to construction. In the air conditioning industry, he uh, revolutionized the energy efficiency of them, and as an air conditioner installer or you know, part of that supply chain, started to think, well, how do I rethink how buildings are built entirely because I can see them going up in my country you know, by the dozens every hour, and there must be better ways to do this. He's the guy, if you've seen the clip, can erect a skyscraper, and there's one on YouTube, 30 stories in 15 days because he's totally redesigned how you build a skyscraper off-site, and you bring it to the construction site, and you put it together like a Lego set. Those buildings are five times more efficient than the average building. They only use 25 tons versus 3,000 tons of construction waste on-site, and they use no water, while a normal building would use 5,000 tons of water on-site to build. Another B-team member is Ariana Huffington, whom I'm sure you all are aware of, who is currently on a mission around the world I was just with her actually last week back home in New Zealand where she was doing an event after having come off the back of doing events in Australia. For this mission, which is under the book that she launched called Thrive, around business's role in driving well-being in the workplace as opposed to the last 20 to 30 years, it could arguably be um, the opposite, you know, working people far too hard, thinking of people as a resource. In fact, most of the departments are called human resources instead of thinking of people as holistic human beings who should be able to bring their you know, entire whole self to an entity and that entity and that organization should be fostering their entire self, whether it's their physical, their mental, their well-being, their spiritual well-being, and all the innovations we need to take place in organizations um, to move to a point uh, where people aren't you know, fully attached to their devices, and their work 24-7, which is unfortunately because the information age has become a part of that expectation. So there's a whole set of different individuals. Uh, as I said, they've kind of uh, allocated different work streams that they are uh, looking at. Uh, we have on our website an, what we call an agenda, which is 12 areas of business that we think are fundamentally need to change. Um, you can check them out after. Uh, and they include everything from the right aspirations, so what do we define as success in business and who do we celebrate, through to things like true accounting and true returns. So how do you actually account for all the costs of society and environment uh, as well as economic? And how do you think of your returns as an investor to look at the impact on people and planet and not just profit? I won't go through all of them because I think um, you, know, you can check them out online yourself. The challenges that the B team are working on at the moment include the future bottom line, which is which is really related to what we just talked about in terms of true returns. Uh, the future incentives, which is around some of the uh, warped incentives and things that are um, incenting bad behavior, particularly in the environment. Um, future leadership, so how do we create uh, the type of leaders that will embody the types of things we've been talking about. And the future of investment, which is how do you drive more capital into 
um, organizations that see the future the same way as we've just been describing it. So I hope that gives you an overview of um, where we are and uh, what we're trying to do in as much as I can in 10 minutes. And we can have a chat now for, um, for as much time as I think I can afford and uh, take questions from Stephanie and then, you know, we can have, have a conversation thereafter. Thank you good? so much, Derek. Well, there you are. Yeah, thanks so much for the overview. Really interesting story about the B Team and how you got there. Um, I also understand that one of your companies, Snack Media, is a B Corp. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what makes it a B Corporation and how it changes the way you operate in this way that you described? Sure, yeah. So Snack is a interesting company because it was basically a startup spin-off of the former company Hyperfactory, which the acquirer didn't want. I mean, it, to be fair, it wasn't really a company. It had like one or two people in Australia. Um, its role is to connect uh, the browsers and users of apps and sites on mobile and tablets with brands who want to uh, reach them. So it's, it's like you could also describe it as an, an ad network of some sort. So from the beginning, once it spun out, I thought, well, this has to be like a petri dish for the B team type thinking. Okay, we'll start us trying to make it a B Corp. So when you become a B Corp, you have to go through a certified process because we don't have any legislation in other countries that you can just incorporate as such. Whereas if you were in the US, you could just incorporate the company as a B Corp and it's in your bylaws. So the certification process for B Corps includes everything from how you treat your people, how the stock is structured, um, your environmental policies, which admittedly are not as important for a digital, purely digital company, and every other thing that you try to do differently with regards to transparency um, and the types of products you sell and make or don't sell and make. So we went through and looked at everything that you know it made uh, that made up the organisation, and um, tried to be as forward-thinking as we could on all fronts. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, Snack was named one of the top 10 uh, B Corps in the world with regards to its worker and employee um, policies. And they rate those things based on everything from you know, leave policies, uh, integrating social impact or social work or community work to um, uh, your stock, how much say the, the employees have in the strategic plan and the governance of the organization. Um, and all the various other uh, employee policies that you have. Um, interesting things that we've done as a B Corp that I know very few other companies have done is, you know, we've raised a bunch of money, not that much, but over the past few years we've probably raised $10 million. And what we did with some of the treasury money that we knew that we weren't going to need for, like, say, you know, a year or two, uh, we took a treasury policy to say, okay, we're going to take 2% of this money and invested in microfinance organizations in our region, so in the South Pacific region. And you, you get a slightly lower return from the bank, but you build a very strong connection with an organization that's having a big impact on communities and countries around you. Um, so things like that are, are interesting. And um, also just instilling that the whole uh, you know, ethos of the company is to be a part of community and a part of the fabric and not just be a silo you know, trying to do its own thing in a bubble. So, yeah, lots of different things, but as a digital company, there's a, there's a whole lot of things you can't really do, um, where, whereas physical product companies can do a lot more in their uh, you know, environmental stuff. Great. Thanks so much for that background. Um, I know recently you've written a book called Heart to Start. I think some of the listeners here would love to hear a little bit about that. 
Sure. That book is really the, the longer version of the story um, that I kind of told you. And the title is hard to start because um, it was, it's about that journey of, um, you know, people today, uh, a lot of people today just want to start a startup. They want to just get out there, build something, and you know, probably sell it, um, and then think about what they're going to do you know, that they care about or what they're going to do that, uh, from, their, from their heart. And I guess this was my journey to a point where I was going, okay, well, well, the next organization is going to start from the heart. It's not going to start from the start, which is really the current motivation of most um, you know, tech entrepreneurs. So rebuilding the organization from, okay, what does it aspire to have in terms of its impact on humanity or society first, and then figuring out what the business is and what the business model is. And that's the journey I'm on as the entrepreneur residence of the BT at the moment. Um, so it talks about, in its rawest essence, how, to, how you build a startup, the different challenges you have. And then it talks in an extended form as to the, the, you know, that period of the recession and the different things I went and explored, you know, visiting uh, microfinance organizations in Africa, learning about the different problems I had no idea about, and the journey towards the point where I was just about to set up the B team. So it's really a narrative. Um, and in the middle, there's a section, which is a different section of the book, which is all about... Um, how you actually plan for the biggest goals that you have or that you aspire to achieve. So almost like a guide to just turning, you know, your biggest ideas into the, into, into the act, into action. So it's, a, it's a hybrid manual type, you know, how to get shit done, but also a story of how things sometimes happen as, a, as an entrepreneur and how you try to build things. Hi, folks. If you're joining us, we're talking to Derek Hanley on Sustainable Business Fridays uh, about the B-Team and also his uh, broader mission uh, around mission-driven business. Um, and if you'd like to ask Derek a question, we have him only for a few more minutes, I believe. Hit five-star on your phone. Uh, so five-star will get you into the conversation. And um, uh, coming up next week on Sustainable Business Fridays, next Friday at noon, we have Libby Burnick from True Cost, who will be talking about uh, valuing natural capital. So that will be an exciting conversation. Um, so, Derek, uh, one question for you is, B-Team, in, impressive group. I'd like to have them on my team. Uh, and it's great that you do. What, what, you know, there's a lot of advocacy organizations, a lot of, you know, sort of players in this space. What is the unique role that the B-Team sees itself playing? I guess part of it is that it's individuals, it's not companies, which is quite unique. So it's not, these people are not, um, they didn't join as, you know, Unilever or um, Broadcom or Virgin. They joined as individuals who believe in this as a cause. It's not a, you know, it's not something you can, uh, it's not a member-driven, you know, organization like, say, the Sustainable Business Council where you pay membership fees and, you know, you build a membership base and then you have to, to direct your, organization to the, I don't want to use, I guess the word whims is not quite right, but, you know, the interests of your stakeholders, which then start to become um, the drivers of your strategy. That's one, I think, important differentiation. I think the second is that it's global. So it's the most global, I think, uh, you know, leadership collective in this space. Uh, each of those people on the B team, although you may not know them, each of them are, you know, extremely well-known in each of their own countries and basically icons in their own countries. So it's a collection of global icons who are, sorry, a collection of national icons who are global players. Um, 
it's independence and the ability for that for the team to decide what they you know they wish to work on, and the fact that I guess as a small collective um, have the ability to meet with or influence anybody in the world, uh, but yet are nimble enough to you know make those decisions via email or on the phone calls. Um, I think is is pretty much the current uh, you know differentiator. So there's that that factor. Then I think as it grows. Um, it will start to look to how do you create more of a movement type model? How do you build layers and circles around the world to start to um, have this slow down so it's not just a group of 16 or 20 people, but that it is uh, you know, starting to become hundreds of those kind of people and then thousands and eventually tens of thousands who are working on these things together. That's an exciting vision. Um, if you are at 347-677-2936, you can ask Derek a question. Hi, uh, thank you uh, for this incredible talk. I am calling from New York City and completely have a passion for people, planet profit, and working hard in the green building sector to really try to get visions that I have across to people exactly the way that you have so eloquently expressed. How do you get involved in sort of what you're doing in places like New York City where there's lots of different organizations, but not really with this type of um, um, vision, like-mindedness and um, thoughtfulness? So... Um, it's a good question, and it kind of builds on from what I last said, which was, at the moment, if you look from the outside, it's, it's a group of individuals, and they're trying their best to do things together, uh, and you know, on behalf of um, other organizations and other people. But there is no clear way for you, for example, right now to get up and go on the internet or pick up a phone and engage. Um, so that is what is being designed, or you know, the model to scale it so that you can do that in some way, so you can hook in some way and participate. Um, now, with the issues that they've chosen to address now, it's kind of a two-way thing. The B-team staff will, will reach out to some organizations that are progressive in the space, whether it's impact investing or uh, uh, um, true accounting, which true cost you know, has been part of a lot of those discussions, which uh, was just mentioned, and try and look at how you might work together, how you might create a coalition and, or, or do something different. So it's, it's kind of like the B team is reaching out on those issues that they have decided to work on. But the reverse doesn't yet apply. Like, you know, so if you're working on something right now, how can you get the attention of, of them to, to look at it? There's no real clear system. So these are the things that as you build an organization like this, you have to design. And that's what I was talking about with regards to layers of, uh, you know, people around the world or circles around the world and then expanding the number of issues and those kind of things, and then creating very clear ability for the teams to, um, sorry, for people outside to connect and communicate and be a part of it. So unfortunately at the moment it's hard, but um, I think, you know, in next, the next year or so that should change a lot. Um, with regards to New York question, by the way, the B-team office is in New York, and I'm in New York. Uh, we set it up here because I live here. I'm sorry, what was the question? Was there a second question? Oh, yeah. We, we have another question coming in. If you are at 973-335, oh, sorry, 
347-835-6299. You can ask Derek a question. Hi, Derek. This is Gina Wurtenberg. I teach in the Bard MBA, and I just... You may have covered this already. I joined a little late, but I was curious about the relationship between uh, B-Team and B-Corps and how you see that playing out in the U.S. and across uh, the world. Uh, I wasn't clear on the relationship between the two. Okay, yeah. I think that uh, it's just a happy coincidence of the name. Um, the B in B-Corp is for better, I think. The B in B-Team is for plan B, but you, know, you could also use it for better. Uh, the guys who started B-Corp, Andrew and the crew, are very much on the same page, right? They're using the strategy of uh, new incorporation laws and also certification to achieve their goal. So one of the agenda points of the B-Team's 12 points is new structures. And when we say new structures, we mean things like new legislation, new partnerships, new hybrids, new models like social business, um, you know, according to Muhammad Yunus, or B Corps, or certified B Corps, or benefit corps, which are all being pushed by various different organizations and peoples. The formal relationship between B Team and B Corp is, is that there isn't one. It's more that they are part of the ecosystem that we're all trying to move forward and that they fall specifically under that particular agenda item um, and that, you know, we are fully behind uh, all initiatives that are creating more options for an entrepreneur or business person to uh, have a different structure than a C-Corp or a traditional for-profit uh, entity. Derek, um, in, you, in your B Corp, uh, uh, the process, the certification process that your company went through, um, did you find that uh, – going through the certification process was helpful in uh, covering some sources of, of competitive advantage for your company beyond the, uh, the ever flows from, from the labeling in terms of the marketing dimension. Yeah, I think, you know, because the company already existed, um, you have to basically audit everything, which is a great exercise. Um, and then you have to decide where you you know, it uncovers where you sit on those things, and then it makes you decide where you want to sit on those things, on each of those positions or those items within the audit process. You go, okay, these are all the factors that they measure or uh, with regards to the environment or um, people, and this is where we sit, and this is where we want to sit, so these are things we're going to change. Um, and then you make decisions, you know, tactically and strategically about the medium and long-term goals. So it's not, uh, it's not an answer. It's more of a process which is useful and should take months. Like you should take you know, several months to do it because you need to decide how you're going to continue to improve. And in that process, you also match those criteria against what you're good at, what your company does, um, where your strengths are. And then there you start thinking about, well, how could we do it differently and could it be done better? What are people doing around the world? And you start looking for reference case studies and getting inspired to do things differently. So I think that's a really powerful tool for the B Corp um, process. Also, it's an ongoing thing because you're meant to do it every year. You're meant to check where you are every year. And by virtue of that, you should be going, okay, where are the, where are the things that we can improve next? Could you give an example of sort of uh, how the B Corp process really helped your thinking or changed your thinking? Well, um, in every area, uh, you know, it might not sound like a big area, but for example, in governance, when we were setting up the board, we said, okay, we want this to have 
you know, people disagree with the ways in which you achieve this, but you say, okay, we want an X percentage of uh, female, you know, members on the board. Um, with regards to capital, like that example I gave you, said, well, if we're going to have money in the bank, well, first of all, where do we get it from? So you have to change your bank to a bank you believe reflects as much as you can in that region, a bank that cares and has the things that the B Corp uh, network believes are the factors that re represent a good bank. Uh, secondly, you know, what you do with that capital, if, it, if, you, if it's sitting there. Um, and then looking at all the human policy, human resources policies, people policies, uh, and trying to find out where you can innovate. And so all of the factors you look at in a business, you kind of assess through the process and, and, and determine what you can do, as much as you can do at that time. So it sounds like a very, sort of, it's, it's, it sounds like a really kind of helpful tool as you think about sort of setting up the structure of your your company it's definitely a very very good tool and, and and i mean obviously if you do it when you're building your company from the beginning it's going to be way easier because you'll start thinking about those things from scratch uh it's hard it's hard the space though to be super innovative just by looking at the b corp tool because it's got to be a certification tool so they need enough companies to be able to pass but if you want to be bleeding edge you'd be doing things that won't be in that certification process because either they're too new or they don't know how to assess them or they are, you know, slightly out of the out of the realm of which they've been able to produce into what is essentially a cookie cutter uh, certification process. Because it has to be, right? That's what a certification process means. It means that these are the factors, these are the criteria, and you need to rank this this point or above on these criteria. But yeah, definitely extremely useful. Terrific. Well, Derek, I know you need to uh, head out. You're about to jump into a car. Um, so I think we'll wrap up here and just with kind of parting thoughts for, you know, what would you say to uh, MBA students who uh, want to get into this space? I mean, who really are, you know, committed to using their business skills to solve these critical social and environmental challenges. What's, what's any, any thoughts for, for our students? Um, so many thoughts, but I guess if I could sum them up. Um, one Obviously, we need to build lots more new companies that think this way and get big, um, you know, even if they have flaws in their models. So if you look at Tom's, it's really on an aspiration to get to a billion dollars in revenue, just took in a huge amount of capital. Can it scale its model while keeping its values is the question that they're going to answer. Getting to those companies is really important, giving them strength and capital and smart people like yourselves. But as equally important, it's how do you get people like yourselves into the bigger companies in the world in a way that can make a difference, in a way that can convince senior management leaders uh, to think the way we want them to think. So lots of places to go. Um, it's hard, and the big companies is very hard. Uh, there could be leadership aspiration at the top, but once you get to the second or third layer, it could become into the too hard basket. And I think the challenge for you know, young people from all around the world who want this to happen is how to navigate that and how to politically make an organization change um, given all the internal politics and, and pressure. And I guess learning as much about that is, a, is important if you're thinking about going to a big business as it is to learn about what is sustainable business or what is socially impactful business. Because at the end of the day, the biggest companies have to change. So if you know everything about what it means to look like an organization of the future, but you can't figure out how to change it inside, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get us to where we need to be. Well, you just heard from Gina Wurtenberg on the line a few minutes ago who our, uh, teaches our employees and organizations class, and our students are also engaged in a leading change in organizations class. So that certainly is a major focus of our curriculum. And uh, 
uh, a really hard nut to crack. Um, uh, obviously, any advice you have <laughs> in that area would be helpful uh, to our students as well. Um, so I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, we'll be uh, cutting the call off. Um, we'll be back next week, uh, noon, with Libby Burnick from True Cost. So, uh, Derek, thank you for shining light on the B team, giving You're us welcome. a better sense of its mission and purpose and also the experience of, of actually forming a B corporation. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Good luck, everybody. Okay. Thank you, Derek. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.